For March 27th, 2017, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 456. Fighter pilot, space commander, mass murdering plumber. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier than when we're hanging out together, just shooting the breeze, just shooting the old poop. Uh, I remember when I was in uh, when I was in high school. There is a uh, a book that's much assigned in high school called Catcher in the Rye. Perhaps you've heard of it, and uh, and it it uh, features prominently the phrase "shooting the." S and it uses the four letter word that starts with S, which means poop. Um, and that, that we don't use on this so that we can keep the explicit rating, uh, off of our podcast so that our, so that we can maintain our mass appeal so that we can maintain our audience of hundreds of thousands of our serial sized audience. Uh, it's very important that we not swear for hey, this reason. I love our audience. They're large and awesome. <laughs> well, They're mighty. Um, they're, they are, they are fanatically devoted at least as fanatically devoted as English teachers are as, uh, to assigning the book, uh, catcher in the right. And it features many times the, the phrase shooting the, shooting the S and really just gets graphic, graphic with it. Like then we really started flinging the old crap around, um, in a way that, in a way that was hilarious when, when I was a, a teenager, you know, that would be a funny, that would be a funny question of the week. What is the least appropriate high school book? you were assigned in in high school uh you know what members at the uh the full harvey or the well actually levels might find that in the members area one of these one of these weeks but uh here uh we are talking about our our me time our leisure time um with a panel that includes me your host matt rather as well as our friends and here they are in alphabetical order matt belinky blessed be friends <laughs> and Pete Fenzel. Uh, uh, holier than thou. Wait, what? No, that's. <laughs> and Mark Lee. I, I thought earlier talking about uh, the book Everybody Poops, which is assigned perhaps not in high school, but uh, in earlier grades. <laughs> and also with you. I read a. Uh... Mark, Mark Lee, just a correction. It's everyone poops. It's not everybody poops. Oh, oh I am I, well I know this very, hard. very, very well. I've, <laughs> I've read, I read it no less than four times today. Wait, do you feel like. Do you feel like. Everybody poops would be a better title than everyone poops just on aesthetic grounds. I don't know. I mean, I'm, it's an interesting question to ask. First of all, it's a Japanese book, and so it's in translation. I don't know if that. I mean, presumably it could have been translated either way. But I'm just saying uh, the authorial intent is in question. Hmm. That's. I. I mean, I feel like everybody poops would be is more satisfying because of the uh, because of the plosive. Like because B is a more. It creates a kind of everybody poops. It creates a kind of rhythm to it. I don't know, Pete. You're a you're a, uh, a poetically trained person. Do you do you have do you come down on this this uh, this colon searing controversy on one side or the other? <laughs> Which well, it's it's really- almost like this issue has cleft us into. <laughs> 
Well, if you really want it, there is a an author by perhaps the pseudonym of Deuce Flanagan. Maybe that's not his real name. Maybe who has written a book called Everybody Poops 410 Pounds a Year. Uh, so if you really, really want that level of euphony and, uh, and just and, and that wonderful little sing songy rhythm, you can find it in an illustrated bathroom companion for adults. But the one for children is more straightforward. But so. rather, I've just I've just learned something exciting that in Britain it is not known as everyone poops. It is known as everybody poos without the second p. <laughs> And so, I don't know if I, I don't know if I like that. Yeah, again, it's a uh, it's a suboptimal solution poetically, at least in terms of the English language, you know, the the uh, sort of sonic, the phonological so, aspects so, of so it. So to go into the phonological aspect of it, right? Everyone poops. Everyone poops is tough because it's four syllables, and it's essentially supposed to be like iambic with a trochaic substitution would you believe would you agree with that matt no i hear it as uh, two feet i hear it as two feet i hear it as da da yeah. da, da 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 everyone poops so it's not everyone poops because 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 the problem there is that there's not enough time to establish the pattern before so that you can retroactively make the first syllable a surprise right because it's supposed to hit you it's really supposed to come out of there guns blazing right but with everybody poops <laughs> Right. Everybody poops has enough has enough length to it. Right. And enough feet to it that you have an expectation. Right. Um, Every but that's not even everyone poops. Everybody poops. Oh, man, that's tough. Well, hold on. I have an additional complication, an additional complication to throw in there as somebody who's read this book very closely. Most of the book is about animals and different animals. (laughs) that poop. So here's my question. Is everyone more comfortable referring to non-human creatures than everybody? Does everybody sound like it has to be people and everyone might not be? Well, that, I mean, that is very interesting because everybody, uh, what we pronounce as everybody is like literally every body, every, everybody's body. <laughs> uh, and it's the body that poops. Each body poops. And that, you know, which is another way, not, it's still not as good phonologically of, of putting it, but it's, it's that, I mean, the point is, the point is that in being embodied, in being a, a, uh, uh, an heir to the Cartesian dualism of the mind body split, uh, pooping is a fact, uh, you know, I, Descartes may, may as well said, I, I poop, therefore I am. And that's, uh, you know, that's the, the, to me, the lesson of everybody poops rather, rather than everyone poops where you have a political discourse of who counts as a one right uh who's a zero and who's a one and uh who's in between and who's a number two right (laughs) (laughs) we're all number twos according to this book every yeah everyone (laughs) that's a a comfort that's a comfort right everyone twos the book, the book is presumably, at least this is what I was told, is supposed to like you know uh, get your child used to the idea of potty training. But it says nothing at all about pee. That you could read the whole book and and be totally under the impression. And in fact, I don't. I'm not enough of a biologist to know. Perhaps it is in fact the case that although all living things poop, not all living things pee. So I don't. I don't want to to accuse the book of of excluding pee because it might be like that that it was trying to be more accurate. By limiting the conversation to poop, I, that's it. I wish we had a biologist on the podcast with us to help I'm settle sure this. Somebody will write in to, to help let us settle know this. If, every, if everybody pees or everyone pees, depending on on how you want to phrase it. Now, as a as a uh, 
uh, a parent of a child of a certain age, Matt, do you have a um, do you have a, a take? There's another cleft uh, in the community, um, and do you come down on which cheek do do you uh, come down on the uh, the everyone poops cheek or the once upon a potty cheek, or is this a false dichotomy? Is are these number two in fact and number one? I mean, I, th- I think it's going to th- there's room on the, the bathroom shelf for a variety of uh, literature with different tones. I do. I do like everyone poops. I feel like for those of you who haven't looked at it, it definitely is is both sort of like informative if you're two and also but like irreverent. And it's got this sort of fun tone with a lot of sort of direct questions to the reader that that's, you know, are, are good conversational props. Um <laughs> But like so, so, I, so every time like a Star Trek movie comes out, there's the question of like, well, if you like Star Trek movies, should you see it? Versus like, if you just like any movie, should you see it? Would you say that Everybody Poops is the kind of book where like everybody should read it, like whether you're potty training or not, or is it like very dedicated to the proposition of potty training as like a context for appreciating the work? I mean, I feel first of all, I feel like if you're going to to get it, don't get the Kindle edition because the pictures are really key to the book. Just reading the text doesn't give you the right impression. You need to see the poop depicted, right? Um, the on-screen poop, if you will. Um, I I would I look. I'm going to be totally honest. If you are an adult, you could probably skip this one. You could probably like let it let it be that it's not it's not a must read. Uh, it's not Fifty Shades of Grey, but. Um, you know, if if you do have a young young child in your life, you can do worse than everyone poops. That's my poll quote right there. <laughs> uh, cut and print. I'm I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to come up with. Um some like uh, just verse examples in order to kind of illustrate the different ways of treating everyone or everybody poops. Right. Uh, so so here's one that I can. Uh, here's one. Uh, and, and tell me what you think. Uh and it, it actually addresses some of the, the rhetorical force of everyone poops. Um, your bathroom time is not uniquely crappy. Everyone poops, and pooping makes them happy. Uh, that, is, that a, is that a Matt Rather original? Yes, it is. I just I, you just researched that. You just hit Lexus <laughs> Nexus. Just like. Yeah, it's one of those Facebook challenges where we all tag each other <laughs> and post poems on our post yep. poems on our wall. Uh, no, I just pulled that out of my. Never mind. The um, <laughs> uh, right that that treats it that treats it as. Uh, uh, and I, I am Bigfoot with a trochaic substitution. Pete, can you right, say right. what we mean by that in, in uh, concisely, <laughs> or is that not possible? Yeah, sure. So it's one of the most common, and some would even say the default way of patterning uh, English verse, you know, is in a sort of comfortable conversational sort of way, is to alternate weak and strong syllables, but to put the strong syllables second. Right. So it's like uh, because I could because I could not stop for death, death kindly stop for me. Right. Then uh, let's sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip that started from this trap. So that's iambic. Right. The I am being the strong part is at the back of the syllable, the end of the syllable. A trochaic substitution would be when you put the strong part in the front of a syllable. Right, yeah. which is like tiger, tiger. Well, that's trochaic in general. Tiger, tiger, burning bright is, and you can listen to our podcast about uh, William Blake's the tiger in the context of an Infinity Q50 commercial. Uh, it, it's it's out there on, in the archives uh, for members if you want to go listen to that. Yeah. So yeah, so it's it's swapping the strong syllable to the to the strong beat to the beginning 
a strong syllable to the beginning of a poetical foot in order to accentuate it. Right. right. And so in my, special focus. in my little couplet here, it, if we were to kind of really strictly observe the iambic pattern, your bathroom time is not uniquely crappy. Every one poops and poo being makes them happy. And it has a, it has a weak or sometimes called a feminine uh, feminine ending, which you can get away with putting an extra, uh, putting an extra syllable in what ought to be a kind of yeah. ten syllable line by and large. Not, not that we approve of weak endings being termed feminine. No, it's yeah, it's been, it was like I think it's traditionally called feminine and has been uh, uh, has been rechristened in order to you know uh, wipe out some of the some of the sexism. Though I, I suppose yeah. it really uh, reveals the sexism that was latent all along. Though though. Right. Not not so latent. I mean, these these kind of these bathroom readers are like bathroom related books are very interesting as a historical phenomenon, because even at other people's houses, I have not read a book in the bathroom in uh, in a long time. I, you know, pull up my phone and play a little a few minutes of a computer game. Right. Like Mm -hmm. if if you if you end up. I don't know what you would be doing, what you be, would be doing in there, but the uh, the uh, we have a book that you can read that you can learn about what you would do. <laughs> uh, oh, it's funny! I always thought I was the only one. I always thought I was all alone. No, it's everybody. It's everybody, Matt, and everyone. Everyone poops. Oh, wait, um, no, not not that. Not the other thing. But the uh, the whole uh, the whole. Um, the whole thing is that our our free time has been sort of taken over by staring at our phones. I mean, if you're if you're like me, you're on a uh, an addictive like news kick. I know people who have like ha- started information detoxes recently. It's it's here in at, at the bleeding edge uh, of American culture uh, in Los Angeles. It's become the new hip thing to do. It's better than a juice fast, you know, to uh, like abstain from the civic duty of of staying informed on on what is going on in the world um it's it's so hot right ignorance is so hot right now uh is it the kind of thing where you have to log into social media to tell people that you're abstaining from news but then at the same time not see the news while you're posting those updates i mean how else would they know right i guess you can i i never use the thing on my phone that can post directly to facebook or twitter without actually logging into the app or the website of those those services but presumably it's it's possible to just compose something and then send it through kind of throw it over the wall uh into the stream without necessarily bathing in the stream yourself but the uh you know i don't know does does uh i mean matt have you been you you're you're uh you're uh uh, coming back on the podcast after a little while away you've been away for a while Why, why don't you catch up have you been playing anything on your phone that's that's uh taking your mind off of of current events and, and fake news and all this sort of stuff uh a couple of things well i i am um i believe overthinking its last pokemon go holdouts i think you know that i think everyone everyone else drifted away i'm level 31 which if you guys knew the game you would be like inhaling odd breaths right now um so and I'm, I, th- there are new Pokemon in the game as of like a few weeks ago, and so that like the the some of the excitement is back. However, I've been drifting away from that, not spending the amount of time I was playing this game called Clash Royale, which is extremely popular. It's a, a spinoff of uh, Clash of Clans, which is even more extremely popular. And uh, this is a game you play against real people 
uh, and like very short sort of three minute matches. And they they pair you with somebody with like similar skill level. And so that like, you're always sort of challenged, but not too challenged. And I definitely, um, I, I, and I'm, I'm in a, a clan, uh, with a bunch of 11 year olds, uh, and they don't know I'm not 11. So I need to be very careful whenever I post a message to the clan to basically like disguise like my syntax and my grammar in a way that like makes it clear that I'm not a grown up with, you know, a, a, a bachelor of arts degree. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're the smartphone game equivalent of Steve Buscemi in that third episode, right? Uh, how do you do fellow kids? I, I guess I should make it clear this time that one of the kids did invite me to join. I'm not because it, it definitely sounds more sketchy than it actually this is. This is like play, playing catch with your son and then you end up on his little league team. Right. Kind of. But it's like my son doesn't play catch. My son plays mobile games. <laughs> uh, but in his defense, we live in New York and playing catch is something that like is hard. You're you're like terribly to, dangerous. To hit, a, hit a taxi or something. Yeah, no, it's ter- terribly dangerous. Much safer to, to play Clash Royale. Um, so I am, uh, that, that's tends to, but, but it actually is like the matches are just a little too long to play in the bathroom. Maybe I'm revealing a little too much information, but like, I usually am done with the bathroom before I'm done with the match. Well, you're you're, sitting there awkwardly. You're in great health then, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a feather in my cap right there, (laughs) but I definitely, it's, it's not quite, you know, sometimes it's like, if I, if I want to not, not have the game be the limiting factor, I will purposely like not start a game of clash Royale to, to prevent like sitting in the bathroom waiting till my opponent crushes me into dust as is usually the case. <laughs> um, yeah. Sent, sends you swirling down the pipes as it were. Uh, what, uh, other, uh, other games like Pete, what are you, what are you uh, playing in the, like the little interstitial moments on your phone? <laughs> well, it's funny because I actually read a book on the toilet the other day, but I like read a, it like a paper co- book or on like an app on a book app. No, no, no. Like a paper book, a codex, Right. A a book bound on the side rather than a (laughs) scroll. Right. Uh, It was not a folio. It was it was uh, smaller than that. What do they call it when you when you go to the are there words for the smaller uh, folding? Yeah. The next one. Yeah. It's it's like grandy, venti and tall. (laughs) (laughs) Or yeah. Or the the short, which you can it's on the secret menu. You can't uh, they don't list it anymore, but you can actually you can actually order one Uh, for a folio, a quarto and an octavo, which is, which represents two, four, or eight sheets made from folding a single large piece of paper. Gotcha. I think this is probably an octavo. Sorry, well, not, not sheets, leaves. Two, four, or eight leaves made from folding right. a sheet. Yeah, sorry. Right. And, and the, the reason I was reading it, though, was because of the game I've been playing on my phone. Right, which is it sort of goes the other way, which is that I've been playing uh, at probably a bit late in much the same way. I was a holdout for Pokemon Go for a while, and I also was a holdout in a Clash of Clans for a while. Uh, and, and after they put the town halls back inside of the walls, uh, this whole strategic uh, element of the game and the whole in-game economy all collapsed. And it became a rather bizarre place to play for a while. I, I hope that they fixed it, but I left at that point. But uh, but I've been playing the as now a little bit kicked, but for me still interesting, uh, narrow. Shippuden Ultimate Ninja Blazing, uh, which is the only possession I own uh, or have rights to that uses the word blazing at the end, uh, or even in the beginning or the middle. <laughs> but uh, except for maybe like what blazing saddles, I've seen that, but it's not saddles blazing. There's something about ending on that word that feels like it has a lot of uh, of impact. But no, it's a it's a turn <laughs> blazing ending on the end 
right? Impact. You guys can make your own jokes. But it's a turn-based, uh, like, sort of tactical ninja fighting game that is also a sort of endless uh, collection and upgrading task. A grind much like Pokemon Go in certain ways, right? Where you collect you collect things that have sentimental value, they're iconic, they're meaningful to you because of the, the intellectual property or the universe, the fictional universe in which they dwell. You power up the ones that you like, you assemble teams, and you get to go out there and fight ninja missions. Sometimes against other people, right? Sometimes against other people's teams. Uh, actually, often against teams assembled by other people but controlled by an AI opponent. Uh, and sometimes against like a story mode or other things like that. And so... I was playing this game and I sort of found myself being like, wow, you know, the game is the reason the game is good is because, well, I mean, it's just got fun bells and whistles and it's just sort of like a nice paced thing to kill a couple of minutes here and there. But the reason I enjoy the game is because I'm uh, sort of atta- feel attached to the characters in the game and the story. But I fell off of the whole Naruto ninja, uh, like Harry Potter with ninjas. We've talked about Naruto before years ago on the podcast, Harry Potter with ninjas, young, young ninja orphan. Who's the chosen one is in a ninja village and he has ninja friends. They all go to ninja school together. And then they grow up and, and Ray finds cuts his nose off and shows up in a big robe and tries to kill all of them is basically what happens. Mm. Ninja Uh, does does, uh, ninja Hermione show up in ninja beauty and the beast 10 years later. Uh, maybe Ninja Hermione is called Sakura. Uh, and so she is very much a character. Um, although I guess if you, you could debate which ninja is Ninja Hermione, but I'm pretty sure it's Sakura. Uh, but yeah, she's probably, she's probably going to go start, um, her, she's actually an ambassador at the UN right now. She's a good fa- will ambassador for <laughs> women going to schools to learn how to punch things and heal people. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, but I, but I was playing it so much. I was like, you know what? I never actually read the end or saw the end of the Naruto story because it went on for years and years and years. Some would argue that it kind of treaded water in kind of the third quarter of its run. Um, and, uh, and so I decided to buy, because uh, I've read a lot of pirated Naruto manga, and I always feel bad when I read pirated things, so I tend to go back and buy uh, things later that if I pirate them. Like, if I do pirate something on impulse, I'll buy the thing. Like, I bought the, all, the, all of the Downton Abbey episodes that I would try to download really fast. Uh, you know, I would, I would I, if, I, if I felt bad about that, and I would buy the season's Downton Abbey. And I've talked about that on the podcast before. I don't know if you actually, if that's okay, if you own a copy, it's okay to pirate it. Like, if it's just an easier distribution mechanism, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't even be talking about it, uh, which is ironic because I would get in trouble for trying to act with conscience and talk about acting with conscience. But the main thing is I bought a box set of, like, 30 Naruto comic book volumes, right? Like, manga, graphic novel volumes. And I've been plowing through it at a rate of about four volumes a day since I bought it, so I can find out what happens at the end of the story. Mm. And so that, that's what I've been doing while I've been pooping. Both playing that game and also reading reading about the adventures and the battle against Madara Uchiha and whatnot. Mm. Um, <laughs> Mark, what about you? Where, where, where are you with, uh, uh, where are you with uh, the game, game time? Well, uh, I have two criteria for smartphone games. Um, and they'd apply for various scenarios, including on the on the John, on the subway, and uh, various other places as well. Is that I need to be able to play with one hand, uh, and the other is that it, it can't be so involved that I uh, it distracts me from listening to a podcast. Um, and the game right now that meets uh, those two criteria is this stupid, stupid game that I'm really hoping that you guys can help me uh, figure out what's so engaging about it. Uh, is called Egg Inc. Um, the basic game mechanics are that there's this big button which uh, you keep press, press repeatedly at high speed to hatch chickens. And uh, <laughs> as far as I can tell, the goal of the game 
is to hatch chickens that um, that uh, uh, that uh, you know produce eggs that you sell that give you more money to keep investing into the farm so you can build larger and more elaborate structures. Um, and uh, and it keeps going and going and going. I think the best as I can tell, honestly, a, a huge portion of the appeal of the game, aside from the very surface level aesthetic type of things, you know, the graphics are fun and colorful and you see chickens running around, things like that, is that it engages with your challenge, uh, engages with your uh, ability a limited ability to comprehend large numbers, the law of large numbers. Uh, specifically, the game, the your money value goes up to the undecillions, which is uh, one followed by 36 zeros, or at least uh, apparently it's different in the United States versus Great Britain. Uh, I assume this is the U.S. version. So, um, you know, as you progress in the game, the amount of money that you need to achieve different milestones keeps going up to preposterous levels. I think I'm at the uh, I have five octillion dollars in cash right now, which is probably more cash than has ever existed in the history of humanity. Uh, And it's only (laughs) going to go up further from there. Um, And they also, by the way, the the game is free to play and you can, of course, buy different things to uh, to increase the rate at which you earn money to get to the undecillions faster um so i mean it's held my attention for a solid couple of weeks or so now which is pretty good for uh, for a mobile game which you're you know you're, you're quick to kind of just dispense with and move on to the next uh, flavor of the of the week or the day um and so with that description i'm curious to hear from you all like you know what the appeal of this sort of thing might be uh besides just sort of the, the, the time waster and giving me a button to push while i'm on the john hmm I mean, one must imagine Sisyphus happy, right? <laughs> he's thrilled. He's, he's actually covered in chicken poop. He has to clean <laughs> up all the chicken poop. Not part of the game, by the way, is cleaning up the poop. So well, do you, not, do you yeah. unlock cool new chickens? Do you have, like, advanced... You, um, well, you unlock new eggs, which you don't really see on screen, um, and they allow you to earn more money, which allows you to unlock cooler eggs which allows you to earn more money the things that you unlock are these elaborate structures so you start off like you know small chicken shack and a chicken coop and now i'm at uh, essentially like the world trade center full of chickens um which i guess that's kind of cool and and fun to look at and fun to unlock uh so that's that's the extent to which there is unlocking of cool stuff in this game huh uh I know is your, your befuddled silence is an indicator no, no. that like Mark has so, lost his marbles. No, no, of course not. Because we've <laughs> all played games like this. So is it the yeah. one thing that's interesting is what is the because because I feel like video games in general, right? And, and when I say video games here, I mean console games, PC games, phone games, CDI, 3DO, whatever kind of branched off at, at, at a certain point and and it doesn't sort of line up one to one with medium but like some video games are really invested in kind of the tactile and physical experience of commanding whatever is happening right like like that the input has an athletic quality to it the tapping Right, I had a I had a punch out rip off on my Android when I first got my my uh, phone capable of playing games. That was basically a Mike Tyson's punch out rip off, but I could like swipe to the right to dodge right, swipe to the left to dodge left. Of course, we all remember the Nintendo Wii. The Nintendo Switch is a thing that's happening right now, which is sort of taking this idea of like games that are are um, that the sort of ergonomics and tactile aspect of the experience of the game is is sort of part of how and why the games are designed, as opposed to something like. Uh, something like a, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example where there's really no, like, like civilization. We talked about a little bit a couple weeks ago. It, it, you, you can play that game with a 
ham sandwich, right? And just like smack the mouse with the ham sandwich <laughs> and you can play the game. And like, it's very divorced from the, the feeling of being involved in it. Right. Um, I don't know. I mean, is there, do you guys get that feeling that some games are like, like Pokemon go has like a really interesting physical element to it. Right. Where you do the flick with your thumb and you kind of have to practice. Right. Um, presumably it's still like that, Matt. I haven't played. Yeah. It in a while. The, like the, it's funny. Like the more I play, the less I'm trying to get the perfect uh, Pokeball throw that like at first I was like, I'm going to curve this and it's going to land right in the center. And now I'm just sort of like, you know, tossing balls willy nilly and everything. Cause it's not, it's not worth the, the, the additional sort of like brain cells it would take to line up a perfect. I, I think I, I'm, I'm getting a little ground down by the grind. Mm. Whereas like Naruto Shippuden Ultimate Ninja Blazing, you can literally put the fights on auto if you don't want to play them. Yeah. And just manage your menus. Right? Well, like, of all the games we mentioned, so the, the ninja game, the chicken game, and Pokemon, those are all games that like don't require much skill. They just require time and patience. Uh, Clash Royale, which I said I'm getting into, actually does require skill, and it's it's both a good thing and a bad thing. It's well, like that distinguishes it from Clash of Clans, right? Which doesn't necessarily... I mean, Clash of Clans required some skill and some thought, but, like, if you net-decked yeah. a good... Uh a good base. But anyway, tell me about, cause I never, I didn't make the jump to clash Royale. I kind of resented that they launched clash Royale around the time that they ruined clash of clans. So I was like, well, I don't want to try it, but I played clash of clans for years. Tell me, tell me more about this sort of, is it a strategically deep and interesting game to play? I mean, it's, I think it's pretty deep and pretty, I, I, I can't comment on clash of clans, which I played a couple times, but I haven't really explored the, the complexities of it, but it's basically, it seems like a tower defense game at first mm. where it's you, um, you know, you have your side of the field and their side of the field, and you're trying to push there and destroy their their tower, and they're trying to push. And so, like, you have to you have a a mix of cards that you you can uh, create your deck on your own based on all the cards you found. And some cards are harder to find than others. And so, you need to make sure that you have a good mix of offensive and defensive cards. And to some extent, like the people who've been playing longer have an advantage because you you can a find better cards and b upgrade the cards that you have. Um, but it's also like, you know, you have to play the right card at the right time. And since they do tend to pair you with somebody that has like a similar sort of, you know, success rate, uh, you don't often get steamrolled by somebody who is just like way, way more, you know, experienced than you are and has a, a ton of cards that you don't have. Mm. Um, so it is, I mean, like, you know, I, I don't know exactly how Clash of Clans work in terms of like the, the time scale, but Clash Royale is at least very quick that it's over in a, in a few minutes. And so that like if you make a mistake, you don't have to just like sit there and, and, and bear it for that long. You're, you're likely to the game is likely to be over in a matter of seconds. Yeah, I liked Tower Defense as a cell phone game. Uh, early in cell phone gaming, just as a game genre, because it didn't require a lot of fine motor control, right? Like you just put the towers down because what if your your phone screen is kind of small, you're riding on a train and bumping around, you don't really have the opportunity to put your elbows out, right? And so like the, the limitations of the cell phone gaming technology at the time made tower defense feel like a good game genre to play. Whereas like playing tower defense on like a console is stupid, right? There's no point. Like you might as well just push the A button or the X button or whatever to shoot the things rather than just like put the tower down and let it do the work, right? Yeah, um, it's, it doesn't require a ton of coordination. It requires knowing 
what to play and at what time. And it's the right. kind of thing where, like, you want to, if somebody plays, uh, cards cost different amounts of elixir. That's sort of the the mm. in the resource that's constantly accumulating at a steady rate. And but so then it's you can, like, can you buy, can you buy more elixir if you want it? Because, no, you cannot, you cannot buy uh, more elixir. You could buy access to chess and chess have a random assortment of cards. And so that if you buy a lot of chess, you're likely to end up with some good cards. Mm. But during a game, everyone has the same elixir. And so that it's the kind of thing where, like, if somebody plays a five elixir card, you could easily count by playing another five elixir defense card and they'll cancel each other out but really what you want to do is play a three elixir card to counter it if you play the right card at the right time because then suddenly you've got extra elixir right you're, you're winning the elixir race and so it's it's like any video game it's a resource management thing um where it's like you know you're basically trying to to counter their attacks with the least amount of elixir possible and so that you can use your elixir to just push on their side of the field Right. Favorable trading. Right. Like like so uh, I remember a long time ago I watched a PBS thing where a, a very smart British man with glasses said that the reason that people play video games is to is to deny death. Right. And I remember he he he, sp- he said this with footage of Mortal Kombat playing and it was his voice behind it. And he said, if you are strong enough or fast enough, you shall not die. Right. And that was sort of the proclamation. Uh, and and it, it raised the question that has sort of stuck with me playing video games throughout the years. You know, is this about sort of violence and dying or not dying or killing something or not being killed? And and on a sort of day to day basis, how much of what I like do or care about is about dying or not dying or killing or not being killed? Like not that much, right? Like some, you know, like like driving in Boston is kind of like that. But like, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but like, there's other things that happen in life, and in much the same way that a prepubescent but uh, but post uh, reading skills child may ask why every song on the radio was about love, right? Like you might you might ask like. Once you're an adult, it's like, well, is it? You don't think of that. Of course, it's obvious. Of course, nowadays every song on the radio is about abusing prescription medication or something. But uh, but back in the day, they used to all be about love. Um, but and then they were all about heroin. But that's that's neither here nor there. The point being <laughs> that like like video game, a model for what happens in a video game uh, other than fighting is interesting, right? Because I feel like it is even Mario is a mass murderer, right? And he just kills all these things. But this idea of, like, making favorable trades being a core game mechanic rather than punching something in the head, right? Or, like, ta- or the like t- uh, managing the egg inventory. Like, I remember – did any of you guys ever play, like, uh, Aerobiz or any of the Toei games? I think it was Toei back in, like, Super Nintendo days. Aerobiz um, rings a bell. Is that, like, where you're, you're running an airline and you're, like, buying – you have to decide whether you're going to buy nice planes or whether you're going to buy, like, used planes yes. and skip on maintenance? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like a lot of it is is it's not quite as exciting as all that. Well, I played Aerobiz <laughs> Super Sonic, where it's like, oh, do I want to set up a route between Tokyo and Osaka, or do I want to fly from Tokyo to Hong Kong, right? And like this one's going to cost less for me to set up, and it's going to always be full, but it's also going to have a lower margin and like that kind of thing, right? Um, but like those kinds of like simulation-y kind of games that were highly detailed and not really based in violence uh, were not crowd favorites, right, back in back in the sort of uh, ancestral decades of popular video gaming. And yet now I'm hearing, like, hatching eggs. I mean, is this sort of like a post-Farmville world that we all live in? Are these all, like, riffs on Farmville? Is that what's happening? Well, I mean, do you think, yeah. our, age, do you think our age plays into it at all? Like, or, or is there more of an appetite for the kind of... I don't even want to say violent because I feel like that arrives with a, a, a more position uh, already preformed, but these more um, dynamic 
right? Sorts of so these more kinetic sorts of games uh, belong to uh, belong to an earlier time, right? Like I, my game, like that that I uh, that am frankly playing right now is I uh, you slide. Uh, it's like two o four eight. Um, it's but it's called threes. It's it's like a prettier two o four eight. I think it actually predated two o four eight, and it it uh, it. Uh, two or four eight was a ripoff, though I don't know. Someone can well actually me on the uh, no that that sounds familiar. That sounds familiar. So you could well actually the both of us, yeah. And the the whole the whole uh, uh, you know the whole point of it is to sort of join like numbers together to create bigger numbers, and it's this kind of sliding puzzle where you have tiles and the tiles join and 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 things like this. And this you know would seem like back in my eight bit Nintendo days, um, which was probably the v- the peak of my video game playing uh the um this would have had almost zero interest to me but but now i i can't get enough of it it's it's uh i heard someone hypothesize once that we like uh we like things where we make small movements back and forth and where we have uh where we have to make small um repetitive choices from a finite set of choices like up down left right you mean adults or just like uh, humans in general? Uh, uh, adults. Well, I, I suppose humans in general. It, it applies, I guess, applies to to adults. Um, to, I mean, everyone, everyone, everyone slides. In other words, every, right? Exactly. <laughs> everyone up, down, left, right. But the uh, if you, if you took away the actual content, like the sort of story content or the sort of pretext, I don't know. I can't find a word that's quite general enough. Pretext, I guess, will do for a game, and just look at it as a series of stimuli uh, and a steri- series of physical activities in response, whether on a you know on uh, sliding or tapping on a phone screen or. Uh, using a console controller or hitting a keyboard or waving something in the air along the lines of a Wii or moving in your body in a particular way along the lines of a Kinect or something like that, right? If you look at it as just kind of a stimulus response phenomenon, um, it, does it matter what the games, uh, does it matter what the games are? You know, does it matter what the, what the, the story of the the game is i mean i'm sandbagging well, what a little. do you mean by matter what do you mean by matter well, exactly i'm sandbagging a little because i know the answer to the question wow. is yes of course it of course it matters but um but but to a certain to a certain extent like does it, it what is the what is the proper i mean what is the proper typology is it a typology of pretext like this is a tower defense game this is a single touch platformer uh this is a uh puzzle game um this is a you know or does it matter maybe the type and the vigor of the uh of the physical activity that has to be performed in response to the stimulus you know there there are two games i want to bring up that are wildly popular with the younger generation uh and not so popular with our generation and i think i think that these these seem like a new wrinkle to me because I, i can't recall anything like this back in the days of video gaming so uh 2014 there's a game called kim kardashian hollywood you guys have Ooh. probably heard about this, right? You know, like, I, I doubt you guys have seriously played it. You you have not uh, uh, matched wits against the evil Willow, who is the rival sort of um, uh, D-list celebrity who's cr- trying to climb her way to the top at the same time you are. But you are basically a Kim Kardashian. Uh, Kim Kardashian exists in this world, so it's not like you are Kim Kardashian. But you are you, are you but you are taking a Kim Kardashian arc 
to to uh, stardom, where you basically are going to parties and and tweeting and blogging and building your social media presence, and that's the game. Um, and it is wildly popular, and I believe Kim Kardashian made hundreds of millions of dollars from this game. This game was because like every sort of like 12 year old girl in the country was spending tons of money because you have to be, it literally starts saying like you're a D list celebrity and to climb your way onto the A list takes tons of time and you could really rush it by buying like a nice dress. Um, a similar thing with a sort of a little bit of a gender inversion is a uh, PewDiePie, the, the uh, YouTube uh, celebrity has something which I, it, it, it seems like a joke and it kind of is a joke, but a lot of people take it very seriously it is called pewdiepie's tuber simulator and it is in fact a game that simulates uh the career of uh playing video games online and recording them and then posting that to youtube to build a a social media following oh i thought like, i thought the God. tuber simulator was going to be about potatoes Right, either potatoes or like going down a river, like a like whitewater rafting. Um, both of those things would make more sense than what it actually is, where you basically play fictional video games. You don't even get to play them, but you pick which fictional video games to play. You make uh, pretend recordings of you playing those fictional video games, and you upload them to build your social media followings. Did you, and, did you and, guys ever play Flight of the Intruder on a, on a computer or console or something like that? Like when we were kids, the you know the aspirational things were like, I want to be a fighter pilot, right? Like I want to be a military hero. I want to be top. I want to murder people. Right. I want to be a murderer. Right? <laughs> no, I should say that. Right. Well, Danny Glover so, is not a murderer. I'm not talking. Uh, I'm not talking about the Mario franchise. Okay. About- <laughs> about that that mass murderer uh mario no but but like i like that 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 these kids today these these millennials and their rainbow parties i like that they have uh you know i like that they you know have aspirations to be you know basically no work uh uh celebrities though i guess all that tweeting is a lot of work you know i i don't maintain my social profile hey, being, a, being a youtube celebrity is pretty labor intensive mm. you don't get to delegate yeah. all that much i mean it takes dozens and dozens of hours because like to, to build your way up to like you are a PewDiePie level celebrity with millions of people who watch every video you post and it's very I mean they're very well designed games and that like there's an addicting feedback loop where everything you do makes you a little more popular and you could see your social media stats rising and it's I mean it, it's it's a little bit I, I, I want to sort of like tut tut uh, the younger generation and just sort of like be like, this is so this is so much more wrong than the games we used to enjoy. A game where like you're 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 spending hours and hours building up fictional friends. Um, but I don't know. I mean, is it is it any worse than uh, the game where you manage an airline? It is sort of fiendishly clever, right? Because you can play on. Uh, the pronounced social anxiety of adolescents, right? But with with these things, because what's at what's at issue is sort of figured as your your popularity, right? Like not not your life or mana or hit points or something like that. Uh, a you know a, a metric of status um, that is akin to um, a metric of status that you might be v- uh, very concerned with in in your actual life. So like as a feat of 
of as a feat of design and storytelling, um, it does seem to matter. And I, I don't know if this is where you were going, but it is an, uh, a good answer to my question as to kind of whether the, the pretext makes a difference to whether the game is good or popular uh, or not. And it, it seems to, right? Like, uh, you know, um, putting, your, putting your status on the line creates stakes in a way that would, that would create that, that feedback loop of, of sort of quasi-addictive behavior. This is a bit of a tangent here, but I'm reminded of our previous conversations with Manu Sadia, the author of Trekonomics, and um, in talking about sort of a you know a post scarcity economy and like you know how is it that in the in the world universe of Star Trek you know what motivates people to work if they don't need to earn money to survive and put food on the table? He talks a lot about a reputation based economy. So in Starfleet, you don't you're not get gunning for a promotion because you're going to get more money. Um, you're gunning for promotion because it enhances your reputation. And you see something like that going on with uh, people who post to social media, at least sort of, you know, at, at the first level for the likes, for the followers, for the reputation of things. Obviously, you know, people then move on to try to monetize that sort of thing. But it, uh, it does this. I feel like it speaks a little bit to sort of the transformation of our, our primary concerns, like moving from, you know, I was growing up in the 80s and the 90s and then, you know, uh, kids growing up in the in the aughts right now um where you know we were concerned with uh things like you know war and destruction and killing and survival and now okay i guess we're concerned about those things as well too but if you if you feel like the arc of human progress is moving eventually towards this uh post-scarcity type of economy then sure it makes sense that you know kids their fantasy is less about killing their enemies and more about gaining and enhancing their reputations uh, I mean, a, ca- a counterpoint or a, a separate idea, right? One idea could be that video games being more about things like farming or celebrity or famousness or making a living. One theory is that that when you go from being a kind of a fighter pilot, space commander, uh, mass murdering plumber kind of character to that, it's a movement away from the sort of urgency of survival toward uh, a more kind of like uh, – comfortable sort of existence another idea is that um presumably most of the people who would play video games where you would murder lots of things um weren't actually going to be in situations like like america's army is kind of like the, the the sort of elephant in the room for me on this right which is the video game that the army used to actually recruit people right oh Very yeah I mean, it was the first person shooter like call of duty um yeah, but, uh, yeah, early and officially licensed by the military. Yeah, yeah, and so the idea is like, okay, you play that, and maybe you you're excited by it, and you're interested in it. You detach with the brand, you get engaged, you go out, you join the army, right? Uh, but the other direction would be that you only sort of felt a sense of kind of common association and kind of mute and sort of like a vicarious. Vicarious is the word I'm looking for, right? Like for vicarious agency through the idea that you are associated with people who are going to go out and fighter pilots who are going to be like shooting at missiles right like the the idea that like there was going to be a global war and you were going to be on a team right and and the idea of like going for and and in, in that team the essential action that's going to happen is is killing lots of mushrooms by jumping on their heads right uh and that's not what i mean but the point being that like like is it is it either it's either a movement from sort of, and this this also could be an idea of like the expansion of the video gaming audience away from like hyper limbic minded you know adolescent boys right which is the sort of like old traditional video gaming audience to the new video gaming audience which is much more diverse in age groups and gender expression uh globally 
ethnically, all sorts of stuff. But the other actually could be it could be a movement away from kind of a sense of sort of collective identification to a sense of like individual identification. Right. Like I play a game that's about something that I would do. Right. Or I would want to do not a game that about something that somebody else would want to do. Right. Or like that's or that somebody else is going to do. And I'm going to kind of live like I guess you're still living vicariously through Kim Kardashian. But I feel like if you're talking about being a YouTube celebrity versus being a fighter pilot, there's like different degrees of abstraction you have to take in order to go from your current life right to that life. And it, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but to me, it seems like the gap to being a fighter pilot is larger uh, than the gap towards being a YouTube celebrity. Because you could be a low-level YouTube person, but you can't really be a low-level fighter pilot, right? Like, yeah. uh, I mean, I think I think it, it, part of this, part of what you're saying is that the 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 games where like you are you are a plumber trying to read the world of evil, or if that's an accurate description of yeah. Mario, or <laughs> or you're you're a fighter pilot, are games where like you know victory and defeat are life and death, right? And that, right. that like if you are not good enough, you will not beat that game, and you will crash and burn. Whereas that all the games we're talking about where you are starting a farm or building a social media presence are games where all it requires is time. Right, that that like that like you can't lose. All you can do is either stay where you are or like maybe drop a little. But like there's no there's no losing. There's just uh, who increases the fastest, which makes it a lot more like an actual career where it's like it's less of a uh, a moment of truth that like you you either live or die, and if you die, you just start again. And it's more of just a progression of like every hour you put into the game is an hour closer to to your dreams. Which is interesting because it changes the. The, there's a difference in the theory of of what is the sort of win condition for you as as somebody who designs and puts games out there. Is it that your game is like sufficiently exciting that people want to buy it and play it, or is it your game is sort of sufficiently engaging on an ongoing basis that people want to play it for a long time, right? Like if if you if you sell a game that somebody really loves and buys and plays like five times and they're like that was awesome, right? Like I think of like Uncharted, right? Like someone buys Uncharted, goes through the story, has a great time. Yeah, that was a great time. I love Uncharted. It's super great. And and then they never go back and play Uncharted again. Uh, like that's a win, right? Because they bought the game and they liked well, but it. And the it was the great. business model is very different, right? Yeah. That that it, it, when somebody buys Uncharted, you've got their money. I mean, yeah. I, I, it's not as much as like you know, it doesn't matter whether they enjoy it or not because presumably you want them to buy other Naughty Dog productions. Right. Um, <laughs> but but these mobile games are very different. Where like the people who are most likely to beat them and will beat them the quickest are the people that are most likely to. Stay Spend money on them, right? And so right. that something, something like your your Candy Crushes and your Angry Birdses, um, are a little bit self defeating because like the people who are addicted, dangerously addicted to them, will probably play everything they have to offer and be done. Where it's yeah. like, and that's where I kind of see things moving to this new model where there's always there's always a new piece of flair to work towards, mm. and there's always like a new Pokemon to catch. Because there never is a there never is a, a win condition of which like you know like this game is done go get another game. I, I believe just, the, I believe the plural is Angry's Bird. <laughs> I mean, it's also you think of the revenue mix being different, right? Because there's no secret, right? That that for these free to play games, the lion's share of the revenue that the companies take in is from a pretty small share of the user base, and it's a counterintuitive solution. It's a counterintuitive. Uh, discovery, right? To determine that most of your customers aren't going to give you any money, and that's fine, right? Like, you should not be looking at, like, why are none of these customers giving us money? We need to make these customers give us money. No, you don't. You really don't. That's like the whole... Uh, 
Star- why StarCraft II lost in like the global esports wars, right? Is that the the huge upfront investment versus like the free to play games like League of Legends that uh, became much more popular? Um, this idea of like people will pay, but they'll be and you make you you'll figure out ways to get them to pay, and that's part of what you have to do. But but the but the, the idea that you're not even really making the game for a lot of the people who are playing it, right? Like, although for there is a loaded word, is really interesting. No, I can I, think, I could right? totally I could prove your point right here because I have an article about Super Mario Run. The the long-awaited Nintendo made a mobile game that's not for a Nintendo platform, that's for phones and Android. Um, and here's an article about how it did not meet our expectations. Uh, it got uh, keep in mind their expectations were insanely high. This game got downloaded 78 million times, but was still a disappointment. And the reason is that instead of the the ascendant free-to-play model, this game has a a, a relatively short free trial, and then you got to pay 10 bucks. Right. And, uh, and, and you guys all know that, like, for free games, 10 bucks is a fortune. It yeah, might as well yeah. be like a thousand bucks. Right. Yeah. And so, like, Nintendo <laughs> is still in this model where they don't trust. They, they, they don't believe you that, like, they're going to eke the money out of you gradually, week by week, month by month. That they want, they would rather have $10 from everybody up front. And that's all the money they're ever going to get from I you. Feel, I feel like um, Nintendo is enough of an auteur that, that I would trust that. I mean, they're a business. They're, they're in the business of selling you things. And, like, I guess whatever makes the most money will carry the day. But I, I also think that they probably don't want to design, they probably have like cultural biases within that organization that militate against the idea of the the crappy experience of the kind of the constant pestering that goes along with with free to play games that that rely on microtransactions or advertising or whatever the you know whatever the model um whatever the model is and that they actually want they want you to pay a sustainable price for the game once and then to uh to have that I mean, to have that be the game, right? Like the, well, yeah, the- yeah, but, but that's the point, right? Is that, like, if the actual money for the games is coming from this very small group of people who are very susceptible to addictive behavior and just throw hundreds of dollars at these things, and, like, that's where the money is, the reward you get for not want, not for like caring about the rest of your audience and, may, and being like, well, the game should really be for everybody and not for that just one group of people, is you fail, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, you fail, <laughs> Like you, you, you become you're not Hearthstone, right? Like all Hearthstone is is Magic the Gathering, but worse with a whole bunch of that nonsense thrown in, right? Like where it's like it's Magic the Gathering, it's worse. It's free to play, oh, and they bug like, you all the time. I like Hearthstone. <laughs> I know it's well, Magic the Gathering is one of the best games there is. So like it's a very competent, it's a very competent riff <laughs> on a, a great game. So, um, but at the same time, the things that it adds are the kinds of things that Matt's saying. Nintendo probably has a culture against. Well, I mean, like, let, let me put it this way. If you want to make your website a, like a scholarly deep dive into, <laughs> you know, various <laughs> various things and not like, a, a, you know, a slideshow of like eight snarkiest comments from these red carpet photos of, of you know, low cut dresses. Right. Like which is literally the entire rest of the Internet, uh, including most of the traffic on on major media websites right like i guess you fail i guess we fail i guess what we what what this what this discussion has taught us is that we fail we failed pete we failed no i don't mean to be so mean about it um although you know my favorite new trend in in this sort of stuff 
and we mentioned we've we mentioned PewDiePie. We sort of alluded to the big PewDiePie scandal a couple weeks ago. I just want to acknowledge that it exists. We're not going to go into it now. Uh, I'm not going to say that PewDiePie is a good person. He's certainly a very influential. But like one of the best practices that PewDiePie, PewDiePie employs that I'm starting to see more YouTubers employ is putting in the thumbnail of their video like an emotional expressive facial expression. Have you seen this? Right. Because that's what PewDiePie does for all his videos, right? Where you, like, you look, whoa, whoa, ah, ah. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm like confirming it now. There's like, it's not literally every single one, but there's a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, we oh, do, we we have that. I mean, we have these sort of thumbnails. We have a like a recirculation widget. And by the way, like I've I've implemented infinite scroll on overthinking it, so that like mm-hmm. if you're on an index page, it just uh, the next group of of ten articles or whatever loads in at the bottom rather than you having to click anything. And it has it has really decreased our bounds rate if you count the uh, you know if you count the asynchronous load as a as a page view. Um, if you're if you're willing to to do that and there there are some other things like the uh uh shortening the articles on on mobile tricks that they play like the point of that click to read more is so that the article doesn't present an alienating wall of text that will keep you from clicking the recirculation uh, recirculation widget underneath that has like six or eight thumbnails of different things uh some of them on the current website some of them like one weird trick type of uh you know um uh type of clickbait that that uh, you're supposed to click on and, and and make somebody some some money, and so we have we have a recirculation. Uh, I keep wanting to say recirculation. We have a recirculation widget on overthinking it that that actually ours is good uh, and shows related content. Um, if you're logged in, uh, the. Um, but the the most successful thumbnail is. I mean, in all of overthinking it, can you guess what the most successful thumbnail is? Oh, gosh. Uh, is it a picture? I hope it's a picture of Nicolas Cage, but I, I suspect it is. I think it's a picture oh. of Megan Fox. It's a picture it's of a... Megan Fox leaning over uh, in, oh, a, in a form-fitting thing, leaning over oh. and holding the hood open of a car and quote-unquote fixing the car uh, as a pretext to kind of uh, look down her shirt in Transformers. Oh, Michael Bay. And and I was, uh, I was really I was really hoping it was going to be the time I photo I photoshopped a Chev- uh, Chevrolet Silverado <laughs> onto the wa- the gate on the wall during one of our Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> when they had the mammoth that was pulling the the gate down, uh-huh. but no, you're saying that it's that we probably put it there for like semi ironic reasons, like critical reasons. It's right? Shana's it's Shana's article why strong female characters are bad for for women. <laughs> it's one of the it literally needs the opposite of what why people are clicking. Right, on. exactly. Right. It is literally a negative example of the sort of thing, and it it of course is the most successful uh, <laughs> thumbnail on our entire website. Wow. We so, just got to make a bunch of make a bunch of crazy faces. I mean, that, but this is an interesting. I mean, this is an interesting thing. Like whether it's these um, recirculization widgets, or whether it's the phenomenon of infinite scroll or autoplaying video, uh, which I've you know been in in my professional life involved in implementing a lot of, and I feel like I've made the world a slightly worse place by doing it. You know the the. Um, all these things are sort of meant to meant to capitalize on this phenomenon of like just uh, of um, slight inattention, right? Like the the trance like 
kind of state, automatic state that, that you go into and using like insights from behavioral, uh, behavioral psychology and behavioral economics and things like this, um, the sort of psychological experiments that, that have been done um, on people and kind of what their behaviors will be in, in the presence of certain stimuli to kind of keep you, to just keep you hitting that pellet uh, um, uh, keep you sorry keep you hitting that lever for the pellet uh, and and that so much uh, so much of our world now seems to be designed as a kind of attractive rut for you to uh, to get into and and this is like maybe the thing about the the top gun style games is that they they involve too much agency right like uh they involve too much too much individual i mean pete you called right. it individuality you, you just allowing you to fail is risking turning people off right they're like oh this game is hard oh that's interesting i hadn't thought about that but i think you're right you yeah. know i mean like like you know, if you if you take a child not 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 to once again rag on the younger generation, but give them Super Mario Brothers, the original, and like I mean that was a game we all remember how many times that first Goomba kills us, right? Or that very first pit, how many times you have to fall into it? And at the time, it was like you accepted the fact that like you would suck at it, and then you would die a hundred times, and then beat the first level. But nowadays, they're just like, why would I play a game? that's just so punishing and so unforgiving when the way the games are designed nowadays, they keep you in this groove where they, they challenge you just a little bit, but not too much that most of the time you succeed and you're rewarded to some extent. And the, the difficulty rises along with your skill. There's, there's an analysis. Uh, I, I saw it on YouTube of um, the first level, or maybe even just the first couple of screens horizontally of the first level of uh, World 1-1 in Super Mario Brothers as a just a masterful way of educating you about the dynamics, um, about the dynamics of, of that game. And the idea that like, it's, a process of, it's a process of education, and it involves involves trying and failing uh learning right rather rather than setting you up for a lot of early successes uh it sets you up for a lot of early failures that will make you stronger um rather than a lot of early successes which is like you know the drug dealer model right like first first couple are free then you gotta then you gotta see me for more you know um I, you know, I don't know what, what, I mean, you're close to these, these kids today, Matt, what, I mean, you're, you're hanging out with the, the 11 year olds. What's, what's the haps? Like, what are the, what are the hot new trends that you see in terms of like emoji speak or, uh, uh, how people, uh, how people communicate? I mean, look, I, I think part of it is just, there is a glut of choices. There is a glut of, uh, entertainment options for kids and adults as well. Um, you know, for free, like, you know, free to play. Um, and back in the day, we all knew what the size and shape and heft of a Nintendo game wrapped up in wrapping paper was, right? Because when you got one of those things, it was it was a cause for celebration. It's like, we got a new Nintendo game. Let's play it all day. Let's invite our friends over to play it. But now it's like literally like if you have a phone, you can download a dozen games. You can download a hundred games and play them for five minutes each and then delete them. And it's, and it's absolutely nothing is stopping you from doing doing it and so the games cannot uh ask too much of you the games have to have to be reward you immediately and to lure you in and before they, they even think about upping the challenge um and so i mean i, th- I think it's it's um I mean, it's the same thing with TV shows. I read something, there was over 400 new TV shows that premiered 
over 2016. And so in that kind of a world, it's like, you know, it's not like a network television where you could make a a 30 episode order for like a sitcom and trust that there'd be like a minimal audience there because there was only four channels back in the day. It's like now if, if something doesn't, you know, make a big statement in its premiere episode, then like nobody's going to be around for the second episode or no, sorry, the, the second episode will be available to stream, but nobody will stream it. You know, I, I wrote a, um, I wrote an article for overthinking it a while ago called toward a theory of television snackability. And, and what I was trying to say, and I'm not sure my thoughts were, uh, totally formed at the time. But what I was trying to say is that the new economic models of sort of subscription payment and some of the phenomena that we've been talking about will reward a new sort of storytelling that is highly snackable, that that creates... Um, uh, snackability was a was a a term that I borrowed I think from food science about like certain foods that that can kind of create that uh, automatic movement uh, from the bowl to the you know of the hand from the bowl of chips to the mouth uh, I've heard now sessionability as uh, another term for that sort of thing which is a little dark when you think about it like a, a a highly sessionable food is a food that can kind of create an event of eating that thing but like it definitely like uh, back in the day, like nacho Doritos were that for me, right? Like where I could just, where I could spend a half hour eating in my, you know, younger days when this wouldn't have had quite such a deleterious effect on my waistline. Like I, I could spend, um, uh, half, half an hour, just, just moving my hand from my mouth, from moving my hand from the bowl to my mouth or the bag to my mouth of, of Doritos. And this idea of sort of sessionability, uh, of snackability seems to be, um, seems to be important to uh uh yeah, to all of these to all of these things as well right like uh the the sort of attractive rut the 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 kind of slightly downsloping the slightly downsloping highway with with uh frequent on ramps you know how do we make our podcast more uh more snackable more i mean i guess do it do we do do we start uh having cliffhangers <laughs> you know no, I mean, we would do it more often. We would do it every day for 15 minutes, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to depress you too much, Matt, but I've been playing a browser-based game uh, while we're podcasting, and it's called uh, Fake It Till You Make It, and the point of this game is to start uh, a successful fake news business. Um, <laughs> and you literally have to to find uh, news stories, fake news stories on other sites, rewrite them, Post them to to your site. And by the way, you have to buy your own WordPress templates, fictional WordPress templates in the game to make your site look reputable. Um, And then uh, uh, create a bunch of fake social media accounts and then spread these around on various social media websites, finding the right message boards for the right posts. This is the whole point of the game. Uh, and it is remarkably detailed to the point where, like, you know, uh, making sure that, like, the, the the profiles that you're using to spread the fake news have the appropriate amount of friends and have the appropriate browser history to, to, to uh, sell them as real people uh, makes the difference of whether your post goes viral or not. Oh, God. Well, so I've, I've made I, I don't want to brag or anything, but I've made thousands and thousands of dollars spreading around uh, fake rumors about a fake president. Oh wow! I mean, maybe I mean maybe I guess that's what we have we have to do, right? Like, uh, let me let me tell you, we we've got the nine hottest uh, photos of I don't know of uh, of fake Matt Belinky dressed up as a Ninja Turtle for Halloween. 
We have we, definitive it, proof is it, is it that Donald Trump is a big man blinking. <laughs> <laughs> we have definitive proof that Donald Trump is a Romulan sleeper agent. <laughs> is there like a fake Star Wars news site? I don't even want to know. I don't even want I want to know. I want to know. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's and there's the there's the impulse, isn't it? I don't even want to know. I want to know. I want to know. <laughs> All right. Well, let's leave uh, let's leave it there for this episode of the Overthinking It podcast. But what will we talk about next week? Tune in to find out, or visit us on the web at Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably, it probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve, or does it? Would you like to continue? It only costs three dollars and ninety nine cents. You want to continue, don't you? You want to continue. Sixteen. Click the button. Fifteen. Click Fourteen. The button. You want to continue. Thirteen. You don't want to be a failure. Twelve. Jim Kardashian would have continued. Eleven. Look, what kind of ninja are you? Ten. You look in the mirror. You look in the mirror and Nine. you tell me. You tell me Eight. what kind of ninja you think you are, because the kind Seven. of ninja that I think you're capable of being Six. would pay the three ninety nine five and click. To continue. Four. You can end it three, or you can keep going. Two, It'll be fun. You won't lose. One, It'll be great. Just pay. Sorry, Mario, but your social media followers are in another castle. Mm-hmm.